I see someone left a tranquilizer on the pulpit. Perhaps because it's very intimidating to preach after hearing you sing like that. <laughs> Billy, did you leave this here, brother? <laughs> and then there's someone that can't see. Because the <laughs> there's also <laughs> the pulpit's collecting stuff. <laughs> there's also, uh, if you have lost a lens from your glasses, come and collect it. Truly, that was awesome singing, and thank you so much, Dave, and your team for leading us. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so moved to acknowledge that it is well with our soul, not because of any single thing we have done, but because of your great, great grace and your mercy upon us. Please help us to see more of that and respond with more love and zeal as we consider your word. Would you speak, Lord, take any foolishness from myself away that your name would be glorified. For Jesus' sake, amen. Baptist pastor, Brian Borgman woke up at 5.30 one morning to what he thought was his alarm. But as he emerged from slumbering, he realized it was not his alarm. It was actually his ringtone. Someone was phoning him at 5.30 in the morning. He answered the phone and in a rather sleepy voice said, Borgman here, and uh, one of his closest friends was on the line, a, a deacon in the church that he had led to the Lord some 12, 15 years before, and they had become the very closest of friends. The man said, I'm at your door, please let me in. Borgman quickly dressed, went to the door. I was shocked to see how his friend looked. He'd been crying. He looked a mess. Invited him into the lounge and heard the tragic story of confession. This closest friend of his had been living a double life for 10 years. Confessed to being an alcoholic, confessed to multiple adulteries, and confessed to having stolen millions from the church, as he had been the, the financial deacon. It's easy to love and care for those, isn't it, who like us and are good to us, and Borgman asked as he spoke to a conference, how are we to love and care for people when they so disappoint us, when they so let us down, when they so grieve us and deceive us and betray us? Doesn't God exhort us to love our enemies and bless those who persecute us? 
And so how can we do it when we don't feel like it? Because we are hurting, because we are disappointed, because we are angry. Well, Borgman's experience was nothing new really. Listen to King David. and Thank God for the Psalms. They're so real. Psalm 27 verse 12. <clears throat> Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. Psalm 35, 12 to 15. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. You see the response from the King David, a man after God's own heart? When I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with my head bowed on my chest for them. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments for his mother, I bowed in mourning for them. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered. They gathered together against me. Psalm 41 verse 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, would imagine Borgman went there, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Psalm 55, verse 12 and 13. For it was not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Can you hear the anguish? How would David love and care for people who had done this to him. And then here, even our God himself, perhaps echoing the heart of many a parent, maybe even you this evening. Isaiah 1 verse 2, Isaiah opens his long prophecy with these words. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up have rebelled against me. And there's the best father in the universe sharing his heart about his children. So again, how are we to respond in such circumstances? What does God require of you and me? Well, in a nutshell, as we've heard Billy preaching from Thessalonians, God's will for us is our sanctification. Some remembered, Billy. As believers, God is busy conforming us to the image of his son, slowly but surely. And so we need to consider Jesus and how he is in order to deal with this dilemma, which we all are experiencing or will experience or have experienced. So let's do that. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. We'll just read 14 to 17 together. Hebrews 2. Let's consider Jesus. We should be like him. 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver <coughs> all those, pardon me, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he has made him like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We'll look at this passage with uh, three Fs, three headings. Jesus is familiar. Jesus is forgiving. And Jesus is faithful. And we will apply those thoughts into the dilemma of caring when we don't feel like it. Number one, familiar. Look at verse 14, brothers and sisters. He himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood. Verse 17, made like his brothers in every respect. Verse 18, he himself suffered when tempted. And then just to jump to Hebrews 4 verse 15 where the writer reinforces this whole thought. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Ponder for a moment the wonder of this truth, brothers and sisters. Our Savior is not one of a million obscure and weird Hindu deities. Our Savior is not the distant and austere Allah of Islam. Jesus, while being creator of the universe and seated in glory at the right hand of God, became one of us. You've all seen, and we've, we've seen it these days, you can send it on your, on your phone to your family and friends, the little fetus when a mother falls pregnant. God was such a fetus. He entered into life like you and me right from the start in Mary's womb. It's incredible. And he was born and it was messy like when we were born. This is God. This is Jesus. He grew up in a family like you and me. He felt tired, 
hungry like you and me, emotional pain like you and me, tempted like you and me. And so we can approach him interpersonally, knowing fully that he understands where we're at, no matter what our circumstances. No matter what the joy or pain it is that we bring to him, we can bring it to him as a fellow person. And he's God. And he spoke the universe into place. Isn't that awesome? He said these words, Come to me, all who labor on our heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dane Ortland has uh, written an award-winning and top-selling Christian book just last year called Gentle and Lowly on this particular passage. And it's interesting that he notes that this is the only description of the heart of Jesus. It's the only mention of the heart of Jesus in the whole of the New Testament. Gentle and lowly in heart. Could the writer not have said holy and full of power? Because Jesus is that, is he not? Could the writer not have said angry at sin and going to judge the world in his heart? Because that's true, isn't it? As we heard this morning, the second coming, but primarily God has chosen in the one description of the heart of Jesus, going right into his heart, where he describes it himself. He primarily wants us to relate to his humility and his gentleness. Friends, is that your picture of Jesus when you come to him? Especially when you are hurting. He became like us in order to die as a perfect sacrifice, human being, on our behalf. And he relates to you and he understands you as a human. Isn't it an amazing gospel? The fact that he's both holy and an all-powerful God, the line of Judah. And can you believe, Dane Ortland, even there were fellow believers who criticized his book for being unbalanced, and where's the judging Christ? Where's the line of Judah Christ? Well, is, doesn't that make it even more amazing that he is the line of Judah and yet gentle and lowly and accepting and approachable and wants us to draw near to him because he understands us? Isn't that even more amazing? And doesn't it make us feel should, it makes me feel sad that I avail myself of the privilege of drawing near to this one way too little. So friends, when people let us down, as they will, 
Let us go to Jesus and meditate on how he, on how he is that we may become like him. Let us put ourselves in the shoes of those who are against us, who are hurting us, who are deceiving us, who betrayed us, who are gossiping lies about us. Whatever it may be, put yourself in their shoes. Jesus is familiar and understands where we are. And understand their weakness, their issues, their sin. Let us make ourselves familiar with their circumstances. And let us be gentle and lowly rather than indignant, indignant, judgmental, defensive. Because that's the most natural way, isn't it? So let us be like Jesus in familiarity and identifying humbly and gently with those who are against us and hurt us. Second F, he is forgiving. Verse 17, that he might become a merciful high priest. Merciful. Oh, brothers and sisters, do we really understand the mercy of our Savior? Our sins, your sin, my sins, even as believers, are enough to condemn us to hell and damn us for eternity compared to his holiness. And our very best efforts are, are dirty rags in comparison to him. And how often have we let him down? Yet does he rebuke and judge and punish us and say, I've had enough? Write us off. I've forgiven you enough for that thing now. Surely you're not coming to ask yet again. Is that our Savior? No. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he keeps drawing us back when we wander and when we fall over and over and over again. He's merciful. And when we enter into the wonder of our Savior's forgiveness for us, how can we withhold forgiveness from those who have hurt us and sinned against us? How can we allow a root of bitterness to damage relationships? How can we begin to feel like caring and loving and forgiving those who are against us if we have no sense of our Savior's mercy on us at all? Don't get me wrong here, folks. Jesus is patient and gentle and kind and forgiving and merciful. When we come to him in our weakness frailty, grieved at our sin, mourning our failures and foolishness. But he is grieved and concerned and vexed and, yes, angry when we harden our hearts and openly and deliberately rebel against him and his ways. 
If that is you or me, dear friend, we are in danger of proving ourselves apostate, not a believer. If we deliberately and persistently resist his mercy and rebel against him. His mercy is for his children who hate their sin, can never be casual about it, can never stay in it. And if that's you, dear friend, please tremble and repent. So don't hear me saying, Jesus is merciful, so I can sin easily and deliberately and casually and just keep coming back and he'll forgive me. It's all under the blood. Isn't this great? I'm going to heaven and I'm enjoying my sin. Well, Paul dealt with that, didn't he, in Romans? Can we sin that grace may abound? What did he say? In the strongest possible terms, almost a swear word. Never, never, never. How can we who have died to sin continue in it? So be careful of taking his mercy for granted. But he is merciful. And so are you able to forgive those who have sinned against you from your heart to the point of even feeling care and concern and love for those folks? If not, you have to ask yourself, have I ever really known the forgiveness of Jesus if I cannot forgive others? Thirdly, he is faithful. Look at verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, there's the familiar, in every respect, so that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest. Oh, friends, our Jesus, he is not moody and unpredictable like people are, like we are. He accepts you warmly every time. Not sometimes and on other days he gives you a cold shoulder. That's not our Savior. He's faithful. We've already seen that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins time after time after time. Listen to Paul encouraging young Timothy. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Philippians 1 verse 6, Paul again, and I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He will. Why? Because he's faithful. He's never going to let you go. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's your Savior. That's why you can draw near to him. Not only because he was a human, and he's a person even now seated at the right hand of God. He knows you. He understands you. He knows your thoughts before you even have them. You can be familiar with him. You can be intimate with him. 
And he forgives you your sins. He's a merciful savior. But not just every now and again. Always, always, always. He's faithful. We sing that glorious song. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Do you really feel and know this amazing truth? Are you totally dependent on his faithfulness day by day? Does it not move you then to be faithful to those who are against you, who hurt you, who deceive you, and behave in ways which, yes, may well be unacceptable? Stay consistent. If you used to send them birthday wishes and gifts before, don't stop now in retaliation. You cut me off, I'll cut you off. That's not faithful like Jesus is. Stay faithful in caring for their well-being, wishing them well, praying for them. If they have withdrawn, don't do the same. Stay as faithful as far as is possible, inspired by Christ's faithfulness to you. May I challenge you in closing. Maybe you've been thinking of someone with whom you struggle. Someone you wish you didn't have to see ever again in your life. At best, you just don't care and avoid even thinking about them. All of us probably have someone like that in our lives, maybe now and maybe in the past and perhaps it's coming in the future. And that's just what Borgman began to feel about his long-standing friend. After the shock of the news, at his first thoughts were desperate concern for the man's wife and children. Then desperate concern for his own children. This man was like an uncle in their home. His children loved him dearly. How they... What's this going to do to them and their faith when they hear this truth? And then the church. This man has served the church and has been open and in services and even preached. And what, how's this going to impact the church? And Borgman was desperate for his flock. But then he shared that what began to settle in his soul was a burning anger. And a desire to never see this man ever again. They in fact arranged for him to be sent to a rehab, to detox. And um, he was then able to share that it was years later 
This man came back to break bread with them in the church. And uh, Brian Borgman was able to see him from the pulpit sitting there in the congregation. And his heart went out to him. Only because of Jesus. Only because that's the heart of Jesus. Friends, this is not easy. We're not saying that it's not going to be a struggle. You're going to have to wrestle and meditate on your Savior in order to overcome the hurt of people who break your heart. Don't just grit your teeth and say, well, I'll do the right thing, with, but don't really feel like it. That's not it's a better place to be than angry and bitter. But it's not the right place to be. Make time to really think about Jesus. Like in the passage we've looked at. How familiar and gentle and lowly is he with me? How forgiving and merciful is he towards me and my sin? Think on that. Thank him for that. Pray about it. Read it over and over again. Tell yourself over and over again. Tell yourself how faithful and consistent He has been with you, calling you back over and over and over again, and will continue doing so to the end. And then you will find that care, that concern that comes from Jesus Himself filtering into your heart so that you can become more like him. Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. If he did that, how will he not with him graciously give you all things, even caring for those you don't feel like caring for? Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, Thank you for Jesus. Forgive us that we talk to him as a friend so little. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry to him everything in prayer because he knows us. He understands us. He's been where we are. He faced opposition and rejection and lies and betrayal and death. So thank you, Lord, for understanding. And so enable us to likewise be like you towards those who hurt us and who are difficult to love. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.